tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Some dear friends in Dubuque, Bill and Colleen, sent me a a little picture of grapefruit. And the little motto with it is, by replacing your potato chips with grapefruit as a snack, you can lose up to 90% of what little joy you still have left in your life. Nonsense! We're Christians. We have lots of joy. So eat your grapefruit. Well, and... You leave the potato chips for me. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. And what's what's with calling it grapefruit? It it's it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with grapes. But uh, the French word for grapefruit is wonderful. I think it's or is it the German word? Which one? Pamplemousse. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm one of those moose today. I should have gotten more sleep last night. Well, where were we? We're we're going to look at the, the today is a huge feast, by the way, which we just don't celebrate, the baptism of the Lord. Now, normally it's on a Sunday, but when the the calendar gets all scrunched up, that's the technical theological term. When the when the liturgical calendar gets scrunched up by having the holy days on a Sunday or a certain certain days. It, I've never figured out the liturgical calendar. I just look in the book and do what I'm told to do. But um, this is the day after um, the Epiphany, and it's suddenly the baptism of the Lord. However, I think it's a very important thing to understand that the this is a big feast. Uh, the, the There are four feasts which are celebrated in a row. And I'm of the theory that the the, the first Christians celebrated, um, uh, when they began to celebrate, celebrated the nativity, the birth of the Lord, on December 25th, because that's when they thought it happened. It, they weren't trying to cover up a Roman feast or co-opt something. They, they weren't doing that. They, there was a belief that a prophet died on the anniversary of his conception. And the, the conception of the Lord, the Annunciation... And our Blessed Mother receiving him in her womb, 
is March 25th, and nine months later you get December 25th. And I I may be odd this way, but uh, I I actually think Jesus may have been born December 25th, uh, 1 B.C. Uh, I have read things that indicate that the the confusion about the death of Herod, which is supposedly uh, from 7 B.C. to 4 B.C., meaning Jesus would have had to have been born when Herod was still alive, Herod the Great. Well, that I think is based on a very limited, um, very limited manuscript evidence. And uh, dating things is not easy. I, you know, it, I don't think it matters a whole lot. Um, <clears throat> the calendar as we have it was was written, oh, I think, in the 5th century, or, or it was devised in the 5th century by a fellow named Dionysius Exiguus, a monk. And uh, he thought instead of dating uh, things by the reigns of emperors and the umpty fifth Olympiad and all that, why don't we just date it from the birth of Christ, since that's what matters. And that's what the world does now. Even the parts of the world that don't believe in Christ. And they say, well, he got the date wrong. I don't know if he did or not. I don't think it's very significant. However, uh, the, the, this nativity of the Lord was these four feasts that we celebrate, the nativity, the feast of Mary, the, mo- the mother of God, uh, which we used to call the circumcision before we became squeamish about things like that. And then it's funny, we are squeamish about that, but yet we have these just reprehensible story hours for children. We are not, we're not doing well psychologically as a society, but that's for another day. Um, where was I? Uh, the, the Feast of the Circumcision, then the Feast of the Epiphany, and then the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. That The word epiphany is, of course, a Greek word, meaning uh, the appearance or the manifestation. Uh, uh, Jesus was made manifest in the world on the Nativity to shepherds. Now, these days, to be a shepherd, you have to have practically a degree in veterinary medicine. But back at the time of Christ, all you needed to be a shepherd was basically a big stick uh, to to chase away the wolves. It, they were not sheep are not the most sophisticated of animals, and shepherds at the time of Christ were not the most sophisticated of people. Uh, they're the very simplest of people. And then we move on to the uh, the feast of the circumcision, January first. And Jesus is manifest in the temple. The scripture says, the one whom you seek will suddenly appear in the, in the temple. Now, the circumcision didn't necessarily happen in the temple, but it was Jesus' introduction into the covenant with Israel. So Jesus was made manifest to Israel. On, on, uh, um, uh, everybody pictures Jesus as being circumcised in the temple, not necessarily so. He was presented in the temple, and we'll be coming up to the, the Feast of Candlemas, the Feast of the Presentation, the Spanish they call it the Candelaria. It's a beautiful feast that I think we need really to, to think about celebrating. Uh, and <clears throat> But Jesus was made manifest in the covenant to Israel. And then on the Epiphany, he was made manifest to the Magi, representatives, shall we say, of non, the non-Jewish world. Uh, and then on today's feast, 
he was made manifest to John the Baptist. Uh, you know, this is problematic. <laughs> I'll talk about that in, in a minute or two. But why? To who, who saw this dove business and the spirit descending on, on Jesus? Well, let's go back to the, the epiphany. Um, the Magi. No, no. We talk about the three kings and. The Spanish call them the three the three Magi kings, and that might be a better way to call them those tres reyes magos. Uh, the the Magi really were, in a sense, more than kings. They were um, um, a religious and scientific brotherhood, shall we say, kind of a think tank um, from what would today be Iran. They were among the most brilliant and well-educated people of the ancient world. Uh, kings liked to have a Magi on their staff because the Magi were this international network that knew everything about everyone. And the the uh, <clears throat> part of the science of the day was astrology. Now, this I've heard people say that, well, the Magi saw a sign in the sky and and that's uh, that means we can practice astrology. No, it doesn't. God will use things to speak to us in an exceptional way. Uh, astrology is, and any kind of divination, is absolutely forbidden to us. But this was what passed as science in the ancient world. So if you're running your life on, on this ancient and outdated science, well, good luck with that. But moving along here, the Magi were the the best educated of 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 the time. So what do we got? We got the shepherds, dumb as dishwater, simple people. And we got the magi, sophisticated, important, powerful, and well-educated. The very, very simple and the very, very wise have no problem seeing Jesus uh, as, as, the, as, as the Messiah, as as king as as divine it's those of us in the middle well i read a book that said you know i i love that when people come and say i was at a bible study and there's this guy who said well really this is what happened i always say how does he know was he there um people who of one or two books think that they're well educated and they're not you know this idea that well i've studied this and i know about it well have you really especially when it comes to scripture the very simple and the very wise have no problem. I, I was uh, preaching this on this. This is I'm re I'm retreading my Sunday sermon, but I was preaching about this, and I mentioned that I've known astrophysicists who who are not believers because looking at the vastness of the cosmos, they somehow end up thinking we are unimportant. But I I've never met a microbiologist who was an atheist. And believe it or not, I've met a number of microbiologists. In fact, there was a microbiologist in my congregation this Sunday uh, at St. Joe's in Lena. And uh, he said, yep, you're right about that. That, uh, you know, Darwin, I am not a Darwinist. Oh, you don't believe in evolution? Well, not really. I suppose you'd call me a creationist. I have no problem thinking that, that the process by which God made us out of the clay of the earth might have taken uh, a gazillion years. That's not a problem for me. Time is immaterial when you're talking about about the Lord. 
The reason Darwin was brilliant. He was a great scientist. He also wrote some things that were horrible, like The Descent of Man. He basically uh, laid the groundwork for Hitler and eugenics. Um, but he still uh, was, was, a, was a great mind. The thing I disagree with Darwin about is when he said that all human life is descended from a simple, single-celled organism there's no such thing as a simple single-celled organism. That's why microbiologists stand in awe of the simple, the so-called simple single cell. It is so amazingly complex. To look at life in the small is to be overwhelmed by the intricacy and brilliance of the world. There must be an intelligence in the universe. Now, you know, I'll, I'll take an aside on this. One of the things that, that strikes me about this is uh, this Feast of the Epiphany, the Feast of the Nativity. People will say, I don't believe in God. Well, you know from listening to the show to the point of, of tedium is the word believe, the verb believe in Scripture and the, the noun faith really don't mean in English modern English, what we mean by them with the Greek word. The Greek word to believe is pistuain, and the Greek word for faith is pistis. Same word, pistuain, pistis. We use two different words, one being the noun, one being the verb. And the word really means, the Greek word really means trust. You know, the stuff about survival of death and resurrection and transubstantiation. You know, I am a, I think these things are true because Jesus says they are and him I can trust. Trust is primarily a relationship. It is a relationship with a person. I believe the facts that this person has told me. And so trust is, we're saved by grace through trust. I trust in one God. When I say, I believe in one God. What we mean when we say that is, I'm of the opinion that there is one God. If I say I trust in one God, well, on a good day I do. You, you see the difference? This this idea of belief, what we really mean when we say I believe, it means I am of the opinion that. So when someone comes up to you and says, I don't believe in God, they're saying, I'm of the opinion there is no such thing as God. They're clearly wrong. God exists by definition. That reality greater than which nothing exists is God. That means if the universe or the universes are somehow self-creating, then they're God. They're the greatest reality. We're not arguing about the existence of God. God exists by definition. Maybe the God that, that someone who says that to you believes or, or thinks exists without their knowing they think it is uh, an impartial, impersonal, uh, unfeeling, cosmic uh, equation or power or source. Um, we're not talking in our religion about the existence of God. We're talking about the nature of God. What is the nature of God? And our religion says, if you want to get to know God, get to know a, 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 a Jewish carpenter, really a guy who was in the building trades, uh, he was in construction for 18 years. You get to know a guy, a Jewish guy, who was in the building trades for 18 years, who was born in a barn and died under arrest. We think that's God. Why would you think that? Well, little things like he rose from the dead and he healed the sick and he has the words of everlasting life. 
uh, and you can come to know him and love him and serve him in a very personal and real way now. So this this is what we're saying, that that this is, if you want to get to know the creator of the universe, get to know this, this Jewish carpenter guy, because in him, all the reality of 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 the power of God, all the love, all of the truth is is in in flesh in this person, and and that's what was revealed in these four feasts in the nativity. God said to the shepherds, "Look what I got for you." In in the in the in the in the circumcision of the Lord, He said, "I'm fulfilling my covenant oath to Israel." And the feast of the Epiphany, He said, "I love even the non I love non I love Jews and non Jews," and then. Uh, in in today's feast, the baptism of the Lord, he was made manifest to John the Baptist, who urged his disciples to follow Jesus. So that's what we're saying, that you want to get to know what the creative force that brought everything into being is like, get to know this Jewish guy. You won't regret it if you do. That said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with uh, letters, and we're going to open the phones at 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash Dallas. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. I do like that song. It's from uh, uh, the movie, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is actually a very good movie. It's a sort of bluegrass adaptation of the odyssey or as my students used to call it the oddity but moving along let's go to letters okay i got a letter from bernice from this point forward how are we to refer to pope benedict the 16th will the title emeritus always be part of his life restated 100 years from now seeing a list of popes will he be listed as emeritus no he won't he's just good old pope Benedict the Sixteenth, on his tombstone is two capital P's, which means Papa. He's just the Pope. He's remembered as Pope uh, Benedict the Sixteenth of that name, and uh, I think history will remember him quite well. God willing, the Lord tarries, as the Pentecostals would say. Yeah, and the, the the precedent for that is uh, the last retired Pope, which was six hundred years ago. I can't remember the name. Uh, he is not called Pope Emeritus. He's just called Retired Pope. Moving along. Let's go to the next one. This is from Christine. Uh, 
I have often wondered this question. I don't know the best way to ask this question, but wouldn't you say one of the priest's most important purposes is to reconcile people to God and to offer sanctifying grace to them through the sacraments? If so, why don't more parishes have daily confession or at least more than a half an hour than an hour here and there during the week? All right. This is a huge, huge topic. Uh, she talks about her parish and... Uh, um, um, they have confessions after every morning mass. There are at least five people in line every day. Um, uh, I don't know what priest days are filled with, but I would think that reconciliation is so important. You know, Christine, in a way, in a way, I'm on your side here. I, I, I remember dear Father John Klein, a classmate of mine who passed away very prematurely, a very good man. He was of the theory, and I think he's right, that the uh, looking at biblical sources, that the primary role of the presbyter, I was ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of elder, that is presbyter. I offer true sacrifice uh, at the altar, but my tight, my, you are ordained, if you are not a clergy person, to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of the baptized. You're to make your life sacrificial. When you were baptized, you were called, uh, you were anointed, and the prayer was, as Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king, so may you live as a member of his body, sharing everlasting life. You have a priestly anointing, not a presbyteral anointing, but a sacrificial anointing. We're to live sacrificial lives. So there is hierarchy. There's a sacred leadership in the church, which, of course, I always tell you that's what the word hierarchy means. We are a church that does things hierarchically. And it's worked these past couple thousand years, and I've I have a feeling it will work fine until the Lord returns. There are glitches occasionally. And we are in the period of the great glitch. I, one of the great glitches in church history. And I, I don't mean to be controversial, but I really think that the diocesan priesthood is, is really in serious trouble. Uh, if someone is contemplating joining the diocesan priesthood, I would encourage you to do it because it's a call from the Lord and the Lord will give you the grace to see it through. However, <clears throat> there is, there are, how to put this, um, in the diocese in which I served for most of my life, um, there are fewer and fewer Christians uh, that that uh, uh, the diocese uh, claims to be a, a, a diocese of 2.4 million people. 211,000 went to Mass on Sunday, the last time we counted. That means fewer than 1 in 10, fewer than 1 in 10 people who call themselves Catholic uh, um, actually go to Mass on Sunday, even occasionally. The number of parishes is diminished by about half, or is about to be diminished by about half. The number of priests is already diminished by half of what it was when I was ordained, and it is about to, you know, well, why why aren't people becoming priests? Why aren't young people becoming priests? Because there are no young people, for one thing, that that we believed in the, the 1.8 child thing, and you know, our children uh, mostly uh, are studying gender studies so they can get a good job in a gender factory later. But, uh, you know, the, the, 
there, we've had a collapse of society while we weren't looking. It has collapsed, and we're seeing that collapse manifest itself. I am amazed at the quality and even the quantity of young people who are coming into uh, the religious life, both the, the, as religious women and as, uh, and as ordained presbyters. Uh, um, they're coming largely from uh, the FOCUS program, largely from the very vital Newman centers uh, and, and uh, a few other places. Uh, it's 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 very impressive. I'm I'm just very impressed with the quality of the young men and women who are coming into religious life. However, numbers of priests have gone down. The numbers of the faithful have gone down. You know what hasn't gone down? The number of masses. Well, you know we've only got ten people coming to this mass, so we're going to. You can't cancel my mass, Father. You can't. Do- a parish is supposed. Now listen up here. This is just me. Take it with a huge grain of salt. I may be wrong. A parish is supposed to have only one mass on a Sunday morning. That's how it was designed. But, Father, that's very inconvenient. Oh, I'm sorry. The sacrifice of Calvary is supposed to be convenient. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry that we've inconvenienced you by offering you eternal life. I'm being a little hard, but, well, I like to go and get it over with on Saturday night. Oh, let's get Calvary over with. I'm sure that's what the Blessed Mother said. And she had every reason to wish it was over, but she stood there faithful to Christ at the foot of the cross. Mass, as it was designed, is a coming together of a community of believers around the table of the Lord. And we multiplied masses because there were so many people coming to church. Now there are not. Um, But I have to work Sundays. You know, I have known Orthodox Jews quite well. And you tell them, well, if you, you're going to get fired if you don't work on Saturday. Okay, fire me. You know, if every every active, if every cab one who said he was Catholic said, you can't make me work on Sunday, I got to go to church, the nation would grind to a halt. If evangelicals and Catholics together ever decided to do something uh, uh, in union, the nation would grind to a halt. Uh, but we don't. We're too busy arguing about theology with each other to actually do something that would be pleasing to the Lord. So, with the fewer and fewer priests, what we do is we get together and strategize at meetings about what to do with fewer and fewer priests. Who's got time to hear confessions? (laughs) And also, there's just all sorts of things. Now, there's a a tendency to say, well, let's, let's take the administrative work away from the priest. We'll get parish administrators and we'll do all that and free the priest up for ministry. He who signs the check calls the shots. That's my experience as a pastor. When you have a parish administrator, he is in effect the pastor. The father of a family is the one who makes economic decisions as well as, uh, 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 as well as um, social and moral decisions. <sighs> We're not going in that direction right now. And as it is, priests are increasingly, um, uh, what's, the, what's the word, made powerless uh, to make decisions about the well-being of their flock. I- I'm, being, I'm being honest with you after, what was I, a pastor for... Uh, an actual pastor for 34 years, and you put all the times I stood in as pastor. For about 40 years, I acted as pastor. And, you know, 
I always remind myself something I told you earlier in the show that, that Jesus was in the building trades for 18 years. When I used to have to build something, I'll never forget, I was at a meeting. Uh, we were talking about an elevator, and a uh, guy stood up and said, I've been in the building trades for 30 years. And I looked at him and said, so have I. <laughs> so, you know, that that that's what I always remind myself. Well, why do I have to worry about this building and this heating plant and, and the plumbing and all that and to make sure the, the, the sidewalks are shoveled lest we be sued? <sighs> I remind myself Jesus was in the building trades for 18 years. It comes with the territory. The pastor is designed to be a father of a family, not a provider of religious services. And that's how we're viewing it, that the corporation uh, will provide religious services and we will franchise it out to a bunch of guys, but the head office will make the real decisions. That is not the way the Catholic Church was designed. The parish is the organism that for at least 1,500 years, probably more like 17, 1,800 years, the parish is the organism by which the faith was sustained. And the diocese, a bishop in relationship to his priests and his deacons, and with them in relationship to his people, that's how it was designed. I've heard it said, if a diocese is big enough to have an auxiliary bishop, it's big enough to be two dioceses. And I think that's true. The bishop is, is, the, is the main father of the family. What does this have to do with confessions? Confession is designed to bring you into right relationship with God and with Christ's bride, the church. The second component is largely lacking because we have made a sort of consumer service out of, out of the church. And people are not wanting to be reconciled to a community of faith because we don't have communities of faith. The early church, the commitment of baptism, it took a couple years to to be baptized in some places. It wasn't just, oh yeah, there's water. Let's in the, in the first days of the church. Yes. But as the church developed over the first hundred years, they were very careful who they let in. St. Paul says in, 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 I believe it's the first letter to Timothy, do not be anxious to lay hands on everyone. In other words, think before you let someone into the church. It was like joining a religious community and that's what it's supposed to be. So I guess in answer to this, how come there aren't more confessions? Because there aren't enough service providers. If there were churches and there were fathers of, and the pastor was the father of a family, and you were coming back not only to the sacraments, but to the church, well, then it would all make sense. But to dispense these things as consumer services, I think is counterproductive. I I didn't mean to go off on on that for a long for a long tirade, but you know I'm looking at you know the the parish churches, um, and and I'm looking at the situation, and quite frankly, so many of the priests, especially the younger priests, who are trying so hard, so many of them are exhausted. Just oh, you can come to my house and rest. Don't be ridiculous. I can't go to your house and rest. You know, I sit around in my boxers and watch television, drink a beer. You're going to call the authorities. <laughs> this idea that, well, oh, Father, you can... No, no, no. That 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 um, a priest needs 
to have the fellowship of his his genetic family. Uh, uh, that's why if you're a young priest uh, and you have brothers and sisters, I would, if you're listening, stay very close to your brothers and sisters, your nephews and your nieces. You're going to need them. You need, it is not good for man to be alone. And we need priestly fraternity, not, not meetings, but guys getting together to play cards, you know, that, uh, or, or just shoot the breeze and all that sort of thing. I really think, you know, where I had I any real influence in the world, I would say we need to stop everything for a year and at least a year and really talk about the spirituality of the diocesan priest, because the diocese and the parish are the vehicles by which the faith is shared and sustained. And to treat priests like sort of mid-level management, um, I think is very counterproductive. So I don't know. Enough said. Let's go to a break. There's a sinner in the church. Oh, my Lord. And he right. Oh, my Lord. What will we do? Get him down on his knees. Let the church roll on. Let the church roll on. Oh, my Lord. Let the church roll on. Oh, my Lord. Let the church roll on. Let the church roll on. Oh, so many possible words of the day. That's a, I, I had a word of the day, and I changed it. Now I'm changing it again. I'll do two words for the day. You know, let the church roll on. The word church, you've heard me say this before, but the word church uh, it comes to us from German, Kirche, which comes from Greek, Kiriaki, which means the property of the Lord. And I would like to ask you if you are treating the church, not the building, well, the building also, but this this gathering of people are you treating it like the property of the lord father you can't cancel my mass it's not your mass dear it's the lord's and if your mass is hindering the bride of christ how can a mass hinder the bride of christ when people realize don't think it belongs to the lord i'm i'm i must be in a mood today i need to get more sleep last night that's what it was so and the other word for church is ecclesia which means the the uh, uh oh we we missed uh, we missed the gong yeah okay hit the gong yeah hit the gong there we okay there's the gong word of the day <laughs> the voice in my head <laughs> oh moving along it's the the um the, the more common word for church is ecclesia from which we get the english word ecclesiastical and the closest word we have in english to ecclesia is jury duty the ecclesia was the assembly of free citizens in a Greek or Roman, in a Greco-Roman town, mostly Greek, and they were summoned by the monarch or the tyrant or whoever was in charge, and they would be consulted. They would hear the the commands of the of the ruler, that sort of thing. But you had to be there, and if you didn't, you would be fined. And if you persisted in not going to the assembly, the the ecclesia, you would be you would lose your citizenship. So you don't get a choice about this. Well, I I I I want to go there. I I don't like that church. I, you don't get a choice about it. You're called to the assembly, and this isn't a matter of your personal preferences. It's where the Lord wants you to be, and to make a decision about about participation in this congregation or that congregation or this denomination or that denomination. Forget your personal tastes, likes, and dislikes. What has the Lord said? 
So, oh yeah, 888-914-9149. You can call in and ask me questions, 888-914-9149. But that's, that's the word. That, but the word of the day I really wanted to talk about, well, the second word of the day I want to talk about was confession. The, the word confession is a Greek, a Latin translation of the Greek word homologen. And homologen means to say the same thing or to agree, as does confession. It means to agree. When you go to confession, you're agreeing. Huh? What am I agreeing with? God's judgment that you're a sinner. When people come and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, uh, but let me explain. They're not going to confession. God, as you've heard me say before, will forgive any sin, but in all of human history, he has never forgiven an explanation. What you're doing is going to confession, not to get the graces. Not the, You get plenty of graces from confession, at least I do. Um, uh, you're not going there to get the slate clean. You get the slate cleaned. What you're doing there is to say, Lord, I surrender. I submit. You're right. I'm wrong. Is that your attitude when you go to confession? You're right, Lord. I'm wrong. I'm sorry for having offended you. You're wrong. Because when you sin, you're disagreeing with God. You're saying, I know you say it's wrong to steal, but Lord, let me explain. I know it's wrong to, to gossip, but oh, let me explain. No, God will not forgive an explanation. He will only forgive a sin. All right, moving along. Let's go to phones. The phone is ringing. And who is on the phone, dear, dear voice, in my head? Jerry from Wisconsin Dells, what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. Thank you so much for taking my call. I love your show. Thank um, you. You're welcome. I have a question. Um, when we accept the gift of the Holy Eucharist in the state of grace during yes. the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, mm -hmm. we become the mystical body of Christ. Yeah. And does that mean we contain and have within us the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ as the mystical body? Aha! This You emphasize divinity. We have the hope of divinity. This is called apotheosis, or huiothesia in Greek, another fancy Greek word, which means adoption. We become the adopted sons and daughters of God. Remember that we believe that God is not a solitude, but a solidarity. St. John Paul II, who I like to call the great because I think he was great, um, he, he talked about uh, uh, the, the uh, come on brain, he, he, he talked about God being the perfect family, perfectly one and perfectly three. And we get to join that family by adoption. So when we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ within us, we have the potential of, of we are being, we are in the process of being adopted. That, that completion of that process of being adopted into that family, which is God, is completed only when we stand before the throne of God completely pardoned. Does that answer the question? Yeah, so it's basically, it's a pilgrimage now. It's a pilgrimage, it's and it's a promise. To continue to keep walking, right? Okay, yeah, very keep good. walking, and, and the divinity is in us. We aren't yet divine. We are not yet divinized. You know, we don't okay. become gods. We become part of that family, which is God. Well, that's a, a wonderful question. So thanks How for listening. How awesome is that? That's so awesome, isn't it? It okay, is. I mean, it's it. just amazing. Okay. All right. Uh, 888 
914-9149-888. Am I getting this right? 914-9149? I got it. I never call myself. How should I know the number? All right. Who do we have now? Ennis from Queens, New York. Ennis, are you with us? Yes. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call, Father. Um, okay. My question is, what is the origin or origin of the souls? Uh, does God um, have all the souls made already before all times? Or is it that God uh, gives the soul to... Um, to um, uh, a baby every time a woman becomes pregnant. Well, again, the big problem here is before. For God, there is no before, there is no after. You've heard me say it, I'm sure. For God, all moments are now, all places are here. So the idea of the creation, for God, the creation is, is now. Uh, what was it, seven days? Was it 14 billion years? Yes, from our perspective, but from God's perspective, it's now. And so to say God makes the souls and he's got them in this large jar in heaven, I don't think he does that. Uh, that, that we are beings who are body and soul. And the moment that we have a body, we have a soul. Uh, um, and, and, and we are spirits. We're, 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 you know, this idea that God sends down a soul from heaven, I don't think so. I think that that the creation of the human being, a human being, is body and soul. A spirit manifesting itself in a body and a soul. And and so I guess if we have to think about it in time, I would think that that um, uh, that every time a human being comes into existence from our perspective, that that soul is created. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so is it the soul created by God, and he infused oh, yeah. that soul and the new baby? Well, I, I don't know that it's infused. It's, it's, it's the minute that there's human life, there's a human soul. It, it, they, are, they, are, they are together. They're, they can't be separate. We're separated at death, but, but that's why we believe in resurrection, because our souls going to heaven isn't enough. I, I, I am I am a right, being right. manifesting myself in a body and a soul. If you take away the one, I'm not fully me. Right, but like wh- when you say like this, it means when the woman and uh, gets pregnant and she gets uh, created, the men created at the same time body and soul. Himself, yeah, they're the inseparable. Body and soul are. Ma- I I suspect that the body and the soul. Are, are manifestations in, in two different dimensions of the same being. You know, that I'm a body and I'm a soul. My body really is me, and my soul is really me. You know, they aren't parts of me, they're me. So I know it's a little hard to think of, but uh, uh, you, the Scripture seems to indicate in the Psalms that, that from my mother's womb you knew me. I'm wonderfully made. So I hope that helps a little. So I know it's confusing, but again, take what I say with a grain of salt. So but thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. All right, who do we have now? Larry. Larry from Wisconsin. Ah, another person from just north of the Cheddar Curtain. Larry, what can I do for you? Yeah, hello, Father. Um, Father, well, today's the last day of the Christmas season for, for us. But yeah. If you were in the 
Tridentine Mass, the Latin Mass, their calendar is a little different. Is it yes. the last day for them also? Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. I, I, I think, if I recall from my youth, that the Feast of the Epiphany was the end of the Christmas season in the old Mass, in the old calendar. Uh, that, let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, end of Christmas. Hold on. Let me see. Okay. Oh, there's there's the music. There we go. Uh, liturgically, uh, the season ends with... Ah, actually, no, I'd forgotten. In the old calendar, it actually ends on February 2nd. Because uh, that was the Feast of the Presentation. And the, 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 the custom was to keep the Christmas crib up in the church until Candlemas Day. So there you go. I'd forgotten that. That was that was the real end of the Christmas season. So, hey, okay. I'd forgotten. I'm old enough that I should have remembered. Does that help? Yes, Father. There you go. And, of course, now we go to ordinary time, <laughs> as if there was such a thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Maria from San Antonio, Texas. What can I do for you, Maria? Yes, sir. I'd like to know if I can get married again. Well, <laughs> hope springs eternal, doesn't it? Have yeah. you been married before? Yes, for 10 years. And you were divorced? Yes. Was that marriage declared null in the Catholic Church? I didn't go to the church. Just oh, you were judge. never married. You were never married in church. No. No, you were never married in church, and mm -hmm. you are a Catholic, baptized a Catholic yes. and practicing the faith. Yes. That first marriage before a judge, we don't consider a real marriage because it wasn't a covenant sworn to before the, and witnessed to by the church. So, yes, you, you may get married again, but you would have to get what we call a declaration of nullity. It's, it's not a complicated or difficult thing. It's just giving evidence uh, that you were never, that, that marriage was never blessed in the church and that you are, were, in fact, not married. Now, whom do you want to marry? Uh, my neighbor across the street. Was that neighbor married before? Yes. Was he married in church or outside of church? I don't that, know that. I have to ask him. Yes, if he was a, he a wants Catholic. He to marry me. I don't know. He no, asked well, me. Well, the, 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 if he is not a Catholic and was married to another non-Catholic, we respect that marriage is valid. So I would go talk to your parish priest about this because okay. it sounds from what I'm hearing that your first marriage was not, but you'd have to have that investigated. What, what you have to do is you have to go talk to your parish priest about this. Uh, and, okay. and uh, you, if, you know, both of you have to be free to marry because if you're not uh -huh. free to marry, if you're actually married to someone else, well, that, that you have to be faithful to that first marriage. So yeah. I hope well, that helps a little. What? My ex-husband was an atheist. Well, that, that's immaterial. You can validly marry an atheist. That's not the problem, but, um, go see your parish priest. That's the best I can tell you. All right. Okay, well, God bless. Oh, God bless. And thanks for listening. Who do we have now? Dear voice in my head. Betty from Winter Springs, Florida, Florida. It's warm down there, isn't it? 
Yes, it is, Father. Well, you know, cold weather um, builds character, and we got a lot of characters up here, believe me. But what can I do for you? <laughs> uh, picking up on your earlier talk about diocese and, and oh, parishes, yeah. I just want to briefly just want to briefly state that I agree with you that it seems like the trend is that dioceses want to concentrate all of the control in their hands, and unfortunately, they're not the ones that are down in the trenches, so to speak. So, well, you know, it's that... it's an it's an interesting thing. It's a view of the church which is kind of bearing its final fruit that the, the church is a is a is a consumer service, and it's not. Yeah. It's 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 the body of Christ in the world, and I just think you know, uh, well, I I don't think it's the, uh, I don't think it's a desire to control so much as it is uh, a belief that that how to put this that it would be more efficient to control it. But that's because people, you know, I, I, I've met some of the one, very wonderful people who work in the chancery offices, but they don't have much of an education, much of a theological education. And I, I think it's important uh, uh, that they be well-educated yeah. in what the church is because they have a business model. And I wouldn't blame them for it, uh, you know, because it's all they have. So I, I think that I think that that we need to I think we really need to consider what what the diocesan priesthood is, because if we can't pull the chestnut out of the fire, as the saying goes, then, you know, the future of the church will rest uh, on religious orders, which have a greater stability. You know, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with everything that you said, Father, but um, the, um, the the question that comes to my mind is. Uh, and what happens on the parish level when the pastor uh, either does not have any kind of business training and or uh, the pastor perhaps doesn't have uh, a good uh, approach? And when, what I mean by that is that, you know, I've experienced, unfortunately, pastors that have uh, had yes. misconduct or that oh, they yeah. are arrogant. Yeah, well... You're talking to one of those arrogant pastors who doesn't have much business sense. I hired people who who had the skills I didn't, and uh, uh, I was very very blessed in that. But yeah, the the um, you know the, the I think that the the lack of priestly solidarity really uh, really was problematic in in. Uh, and I think it has to do with the 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 scandals. I really do that that. Uh, that priests were not looking out for each other. And, uh, you know, you need somebody who can say you got a problem. But, well, at any rate, we need to pray for all the all the priests, especially diocesan priests. So, well, thanks for calling in. Do we have time for the next call, dear voice in my head? It's got to be quick. Who have we got? Christina. What can I do for you, Christina? Father, I'm a little confused about consecrations. When they talk about in our prayers, like I consecrate myself to Our Lady, or um, sometimes on Tuesdays it's to Saint Anthony. And um, well, a, so a, many... cons a consecration is is saying I want to belong to this. I want this to be the gu the guiding light of my life. To consecrate is similar to dedicate, uh, in not for consecration of the host, but uh, those different consecrations uh, that I want this saint to be a guiding light in my spirituality. And speaking of guiding lights, I hear music in my head, which means Drew is coming up. <laughs> 